Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. You may start the conversation now. My name is John J. Lennon, contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. Been in prison 18 years so far. Got about 10 more to go. New York State prison system identifies me as DIN number 04A0823. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. And this is a collect call from Sing Sing. Welcome to another episode of This is a Collect Call from Sing Sing. Today we'll be talking to Jessica Jackson. Jessica Jackson is a lawyer, a mother, Kim Kardashian West's mentor, the co-founder of Hashtag Cut50 with Van Jones, and most recently, the chief advocacy officer of rapper Meek Mill's Reform Alliance. Jessica, welcome to Collect Call from Sing Sing. So good to meet you. So about 15 years ago, before you were, you know, sort of Jessica Jackson, the powerhouse, you know, sort of heading up <laughs> these prison reform campaigns with celebrities, you were a 22-year-old single mother with a GED and a husband who was going to prison in Georgia. Can you explain those very complicated times that propelled you into a life of advocacy? So I never imagined that I was going to grow up and become a lawyer, even though my parents say that I've always argued with them. So they saw it coming. But when I was 22 years old, as you said, I found myself standing in a courtroom in Georgia, holding my two-year-old daughter and watching as my husband got sentenced to serve six years in prison. And, you know, that moment was just life-changing. I didn't have a college degree. I definitely didn't have a law school degree. I had never really thought about going back to school. And at the time, I realized that I was going to have to support my daughter. And I was so upset about everything that had happened because I knew my husband was a good guy. I knew he was a good son, a, an employer, a, a good father. I knew that while he did need help, that he didn't need to go to prison. And I wanted to do something that would help keep families like mine together. So that's really what gave me my start to this journey and why I think I do the work the way that I do it, because it's so personal. So many places this conversation can go, but what's really urgent on my end, and I know it's urgent on your end, is what we're dealing with on the inside and what you guys are dealing with on the outside, too. And I'm at, you know, sort of the ground zero of it all because, you know, Sing Sing is in Westchester County and yeah. uh, it's really been taken off like wildfires, you know, uh, in the last couple of days. Even today, I was just telling my producer, Steve, that they've allowed the correction officers to wear face masks. So your campaign in the Meek Mills Reform Alliance, uh, mm-hmm. you're at home, so you've created SAFER, and this is an acronym. Yeah. Break, yeah, break it down. Yeah, so SAFER is sort of the larger acronym that can describe, you know, everything that we're doing. The S is for suspending jails for technical violations, suspending probation office visits and payment of fines. The A is for adopting smart alternatives to incarceration. The F is for free medical visits and treatment, free hand sanitizer and soap, and free protective gear. The E is extra precautions for guards and staff as they're coming in and out of the facilities, making sure that they're going through screening as well and not bringing in the virus. And the R is for releasing elderly 
elderly and vulnerable to home confinement. And, you know, I think we've really expanded on that to include releasing as many people as can be done, because obviously there's a lot of recommendations that are in place out here in the free world. They're keeping people in their homes. They've got a social distancing, staying six feet away from each other. They've got people taking extra precautions with hygiene, making sure that we're washing our hands and sanitizing and washing our clothes. If we come into contact with anything, you can't do any of that in prisons and jails. And I think our concern is, you know, prisons and jails could become a hotbed for the virus. And with everybody living in such close quarters and the the strain on the medical capacity inside of prisons and jails, I think we would see mass casualties, unfortunately, inside of the prisons and jails, you know, even more so percentage-wise than we're seeing out here in the free world. So we jumped into action working with corrections experts, medical experts, psychologists to pull together the SAFER plan, which we've boiled it down to an acronym, but it's actually seven pages of recommendations, much of which was adopted by the CDC, which we got the uh, National Governors Association to also endorse and push out to all of the governors And now we're working with 21 different states to see these put into place and adopted and implemented. And I think we're starting to see some pretty big successes. How are they cleaning the phones? Because we, we were just adjusting a little technical difficulty. And I was telling her that, um, you know, there's like these special concoctions, which I sort of described in an Esquire piece I recently wrote. And actually, one of my friends, he's created a product. He patented a product, you know, a guy incarcerated here with me. And I explained that whole thing in, in Esquire. Uh, before this broke out, I was like, really? Like, nobody uses pay phones. Like, what are you patenting? Like, a, it's a cover that prevents germs. It's called the germ barrier. Mm-hmm. Then this thing, you know, broke out. And so I, I wrote about it. My editor was like, yes, yes. You know, and he actually patented it from prison with his, you know, his friends from the outside. So there'll be a demand for that. And apparently, Securus reached out to him. So I thought that was a little offshoot of your question there. Yeah, I sort of, uh, it's a good question, though, because the phones are what sort of can potentially be the main way of it spreading. No, I, and ATM pins out here and, you know, the gas handle, but it's made me think, you know, especially given how long it lives on metal, how much metal is inside of prisons, the lack of access to sanitizer and, and cleaning stuff in there. I mean, I just can't imagine what measures you guys are having to take to try and protect yourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to jump jump right to releasing, like, sort of prisoners, because I, I, I've expressed this. I've been sort of doing a weekly update. A prison like Sing Sing, you know, with tiers and tiers stacked on top of each other. We have A Block, for example, the largest cell block in America. I recently did a podcast a couple of days ago, sort of, you know, reaching out to pleading to Governor Cuomo, like there is no preventative measure here. It's releasing the most vulnerable is the preventative measure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you'll have blood on your hands because yeah. I mean, with releasing people from prison, I think it's this idea of balancing justice and public safety with mercy and humanity. Yeah. If nothing else, what we're learning from this whole experience is what a construct prison and jail, the need to incarcerate people is really, right? Like yesterday, 
Gavin Newsom announced that he was letting 3,500 people out. Those were folks who had, you know, as he referred to, low-level crimes that were about 60 days from release. But it's like, okay, why were they still in there? You can just let people out. There's people who've been getting out because they couldn't afford bail. We've been fighting for that for years. Why did it take this to happen? People who are coming out who are just inside because of technical violations, you know, they didn't even commit a new crime. They just violated by missing a meeting or not being able to pay a fine. Now, you know, thankfully they're coming home, but it shouldn't have taken this. We we should take this experience and really look at it to assess why are we locking so many people up and who is inside who could actually be out on the streets and free. But I 100% agree. and, And we started pushing for the safer plan about three and a half weeks ago, which was before there was a lot of conversation about prisons and jails. And I think our feeling was you got to get ahead of this thing. You've got to get people fighting chance to get out of there before the virus gets in there, get home to their families, get home to their houses where they can self-isolate and stay healthy because otherwise you're risking everybody's lives. I appreciate that. We need to educate people quickly on what aging out of crime means and how guys who've been in prison decades think differently than they did when they came in. I mean, to be fair, you know, Rikers Island, they've released you know a lot of sort of detainees. I mean, frankly, when my peers and I think of guys that are sort of like coming in, we reflect on how we used to think, right? And this is not sort of knock, you know, to them. It's just I, I often think of think of us all, especially guys and gals that, you know, sort of get caught up in the criminal justice system, you know, as our own mm-hmm. little, our story arcs, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and those plot points, they were having some difficult times, a lot of conflict in those beginning plot points there when you're before the judge and you're going on Rikers Island and you're going back and forth to court, you know, and then a lot of guys I'm with here, you know, we've reached our crescendo, like, so to speak. Like, you know, when I came in, I was like a profound low life. But but, But it breaks my heart that you think of yourself as that way. Like there's there's so much more. But there's more. You know, know? I you know oh believe me, there's more. I think of myself quite differently today. You know, you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm a contributing editor for, for Esquire and you know, I have this show and you know what I mean, you know, things turned out okay. But that's not about me, but like my peers too. I'm here in Sing Sing and you know, they have a master's program here. And I was talking to my friends, you know, you know, Michael Taneo yesterday, and his master's degree graduation may be halted, but he has a master's oh. degree. You know, yeah. he's in a 0.10% recidivism rate. You know, he's got four more years to go. So when we think of releasing the back end compared to releasing the front end, you'd be pretty impressed with the guys that have clemency applications in on the yeah. back end. Especially guys yeah, I'm mean, around, you know? 100%. I just, on Friday, had one of the most meaningful victories of my career. I think First Step Act will always be the most meaningful, but there's a case that I had been working on in California, a clemency case, a guy by the name of David Jasty, who's a music producer. He was a producer before he went to prison, um, you know, made a bad decision, ended up getting a life sentence for second-degree murder. But, you know, he really did the work. He really focused on himself. He identified, you know, what his triggers were, how that moment had come to happen, started opening up about things that kind of led up to that moment in his life. Three years later, after meeting him and coming to his music program and watching him mentor youth, I I got a call on Friday night that they were granting his commutation. And now he's going home on Friday. So 
I know there's just incredible value for people who have been inside the system, you know, even if it is more serious crimes, but I've met people who have been convicted of more serious crimes who have been some of the most insightful, brilliant people that I know. And I would never hesitate to have them to my own home for dinner. I don't consider them any sort of risk. So I'm glad that the conversation has really been forced. And, you know, I'm, I'm sad, of course, that we have coronavirus, but I'm glad that the conversation has been forced on releasing people who've been inside for a while, even if they are do have more serious crimes uh, and convictions. Yeah. Well, first of all, congrats on that. You know, I'm happy for him. What state was this? Is California? Yeah, it was California. So uh, Gavin Newsom did a host of commutations, 21 different commutations. And I've never cried so many happy Uh, tears in my entire life. I I stayed up all night. I couldn't even believe that it was real. And then you're you're over at Kim Kardashian West House, you know, sort of helping. I mean, how is that working out now? Like, what does that look like? Has she been sort of at the table with you helping out, like with these safer reforms or like what? Take me to that table of a session over at hanging out with Kim, you know, studying for law. You know, I talked to Alice Marie Johnson, so I mean, yeah. it's a fascinating story. Kim is so smart. I was actually with her right before everything got really bad uh, with coronavirus. And we were talking a little bit about it and the fact that it might be coming to the U.S., might be hitting the prisons and jails. And uh, I told her we would probably pull together some recommendations and that Aaron Haney, our policy director, was starting to work on it. We actually sent over the recommendations to Kim right after they were pulled together with the experts. And, you know, she looked them over and said she liked them. And then she was, you know, tweeting about them and talking to some of her other friends who are influencers and reaching out to any legislative connections she had to try and get them implemented as well. So she's been very very helpful with the response to corona epidemic. She was on Jimmy Fallon a couple nights ago talking about, you know, the need to protect people inside of the prisons and jails. And then actually Demi Lovato was on Jimmy Fallon last night saying the same thing. So pretty incredible to have so many influencers and people with platforms using them right now in this moment to help protect people who are inside the prisons and jails and working inside of the prisons and jails from coronavirus. Yeah, and you have a pretty impressive way of doing it. I was talking to some of my colleagues at the Marshall Project and one of my friends who writes for The New Yorker, and I told him I was talking to you, and it's a pretty impressive way, you know, when these influencers and, and, and celebs, you know, really just speak to this, and it's really, it's really appreciated, and Moving forward, what is it that we can do, you know, that I can do with, you know, some of my peers, you know, and their stories in here to sort of further the conversation with the great work that you're doing at not only at the Reform Alliance, but with, you know, always in conversation with, you know, these people I'm referring to. What is it, you know, that you think we can do together? Because one of the things that you mentioned, Erin Haney, so she says what I like is that it's the stories we tell. And yeah. I consider myself a storyteller. Yeah. And everything starts with story. How we got yeah. here started with story and how we get out of this starts with story. So what, what do you think we can do together to sort of tell these different stories to make some progress? Well, I think I think there? it's super important. And that's why when, when Van and I started Cut 50, you know, we really started it with the goal of humanization and legislation. So changing the narrative, telling the stories, really putting faces and heartbeats to all of the numbers that we hear so much, the 2.2 million people who are incarcerated. And I think for me, that was especially important because again, having been directly impacted by this and, and lost my husband to the system, 
I remember how much the stigma held me back from even talking about it with people. It was very isolating because I felt like they would judge me for having a, a husband in prison or judge him. And I didn't want to have to constantly be defending him and explaining that, you know, he's a really good guy, but he just made a terrible decision. So I think the stories is huge. And that's one way that we're able to open up for legislative changes is really through the storytelling. So you guys can help us by telling the stories of what's going on there. You know, let us know, you know, what it's like to be going through the coronavirus when you're cramped in a cell with people yeah, or denied access to hygiene, et cetera. That I would mean, be helpful. I mean, I mean, at this point, just to bring it back home to where we, you know, started, I, a lot of my peers here, you know, I just, we just assume we're all going to get it uh, and yeah. the same thing because it's where it started. And the preventative measures, as I've stated, is to release the most vulnerable it's also, you know, it's just a psychological thing, too. I think it's not only going to be just because we're in New York that we have, you know, it's not only going to be like that some of us are going to lose our lives here. And same thing because of pre-existing conditions. It will be because, I think, that, sadly, because we're prisoners. And many fear there'll be ambulance to the sort of hospitals. I've heard these conversations uh, on the cell block. I'm on, like, many feel, Jesus. I mean, we've already had one death on Monday, our first death, and he was sort of gasping for air, and there, and there's, these are the reports that are coming out, and then the over sort of worked hospitals around mm. Westchester, so many of, you know, my peers are fearing that, you know, the ambulance comes up from Sing Sing, and it's like, you know, it's heartbreaking, but. It is, I mean, it's just heart, like, I, you just bring tears to my eyes, even even talking about that, because I know that the prison can't handle, you know, we can't even handle it out here. We've only got 18,000 hospital beds in, in the country. We've only got 2,000 ICU beds here in Virginia. And so we've already got like 2,000 cases, and I'm sure it's going to get worse here. And, and just thinking about that in, in a prison, I mean, we're lucky to have the resources we have out here because you don't have anywhere near that many resources or that much capacity. So it's heartbreaking. Nobody in there should die from this. Nobody in there should get subpar medical care. Just because you made a bad decision one day and have to live in a prison doesn't mean that you're not a human being who's worth every ounce of protection that we are out here. And, you know, my heart breaks for you guys. My heart breaks for your families. Well, just Scott, well, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing, and I'm going to keep telling these stories, and hopefully this is a conversation that we can continue. Really appreciate it. I'm, I'm telling the guys right now on the company who I'm, you know, whom I'm talking to, and they're very excited. So, Jessica Jackson, thank you so much. Thank you. The caller has hung up.